feel the fear and do it anyway. So when we think about the obstacle or maybe the fear, like it's okay to step into that and embrace it and do it anyway and get curious about it. Welcome to the Big Self Podcast. We are a community for curious people, for people at a life or career crossroads, ready to rejoin their soul and their role. We are insatiably curious about how self-knowledge can make us better humans and help us make a bigger impact. The more we learn, the better we get. And there are people from a wide variety of disciplines doing the work. They can teach us something about ourselves and the work we can do. I'm Shelley Prevost. I'm an educational psychologist. And I'm Chad Prevost. I'm a writer and teacher. We are partners in business and partners in life. We have in-depth conversations that cut to the chase and reveal that our inner work is critical if we want to leave a mark on the world. This is Big Self Work. Let's get started. With a master's degree in engineering management and more than 20 years of combined experience as a railroad operations and manufacturing leader, Sabrina Moon is an expert at leveraging leadership skills and qualities in corporate and nonprofit settings. She is one of Dr. Brene Brown's certified Dare to Lead facilitators who believes that being ourselves is one of the bravest things we could do. Sabrina helps individuals tap into their courage as a powerful tool for organizational growth. Hey, Sabrina, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're here. Hey, Shelley. Thank you both for inviting me. It's a privilege and an honor. Great to have you. This will be a fun conversation. Uh, and an important conversation. So I want to start with um, something you and I have talked about before, this idea of embracing the suck. I I love that. I think uh, through any given day, that comes through my mind like one, at least once a day <clears throat> where I'm thinking about like where just normal kind of day-to-day struggles or it can be something larger than that. And this concept of embracing it going into it, allowing it is something that has really stuck with me. And so I wanted to see if you could talk about that idea, where it comes from, and what do you mean by embracing the suck when you use that that idea? Yeah, it's such an endearing term, isn't it? It's one of those terms, you know, that gets your attention, but um, it's not mine. So I I have to first give credit to, um, you know, where I, where I got it from, uh, which was Brene Brown, but she had uh, borrowed it from military. So it comes from the military and first responders. And really what it's referencing is that some of the PT or physical therapy that happens with military or first responders is really tough. Mm. And they say often, embrace the suck. It's not supposed to be fun. This is a part of the journey and development to become great, is to go through trials and physical tribulations to become better or the greatest. So embrace the suck. So when I use the term embrace the suck, um, I'm really referencing the discomfort of emotions as a thinker and doer and recovering engineer, I was not really taught emotional literacy or how to integrate my emotions into my work. So now that I know how to do that, there's parts of that that are really uncomfortable. And sometimes it sucks, especially vulnerability. It definitely sucks. Mm. But I've learned to just wrap my arms around it and embrace it. Mm. That, that's really interesting. It seems to me to connect to a couple of ideas I've been doing some research on. One is 
calm, the idea of calm and, and the idea that we should like manage our expectations and really lower our expectations. And, and it also actually reminds me a little bit of a book I, I just read by Ryan Holiday called The Obstacle is the Way. Mm-hmm. So it, it sounds like kind of a blend of those concepts of like, it's actually that thing that is the obstacle that you should be going for and embracing. Do those, does that strike a chord? Is that similar? Oh, for sure. Like, um, there's this saying, and I don't know who, who, who to quote for it, but what's in the way becomes the way. So essentially whatever is blocking us or whatever obstacle to you, to use your word is in the way becomes really our way of functioning and operating, especially in leadership roles and workplaces. So the very things we don't talk about or deal with become, that elephant in the room that we avoid and, and dance around. And um, the book that that I'm thinking of is uh, Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm-hmm. So when we think about the obstacle or maybe the fear, like it's okay to step into that and embrace it and do it anyway and get curious about it. So let's bring this to COVID-19. Um, and you and I, Sabrina, have done a few different leadership Um, panels and talks with folks who are leaders in their organizations looking to um, lead well through this pandemic. And this idea of embrace the suck, I think is such a great tool, such a great lesson. Um, Yes, coming from military and maybe PT, but the emotional embrace the suck, I think is we're all kind of living in this space right now where we don't have a choice but to embrace it. And so I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit about what it's looking like right now with, with COVID-19 and how do, what are you seeing and how do you help people embrace the suck without getting consumed by the fear? That's such a good and tough question at the Mm -hmm. same time Um, because I'm learning right along with everyone and feeling it right along with everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I think about COVID-19, it was, it was stages for me, but also stages that I was witnessing and and the folks that I was serving. And I think both you and I were witnessing that together as we were doing some work together. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I think about COVID-19, I think about first, um, there was a lot of anxiety present because there was so much uncertainty present. And one of the comments I made, and and sometimes I make a joke about it, is that this situation we're in right now with this pandemic is vulnerability on steroids. Mm -hmm. And I laugh a little bit about that because um, it's what it feels like. And, And vulnerability is the emotion we feel when we're up against uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure, which is definitely what we're all up against right now. So I definitely saw a lot of anxiety with not only myself, but the clients that I was serving. And then it moved into the next stage of um, really just fear. Like, what do we do? How do we do this? How do we keep the people we love safe? And then I started seeing and experiencing grief And grief doesn't always present as grief, which I've just recently started learning. It usually presents itself as anger, resentment, uh, more fear. So it it was really helpful to identify that people were experiencing really global 
collective grief. And the reason I say grief is typically we associate grief with the loss of someone we love, but grief is the loss of anything that we, you know, had. It could be a process, it could be a job, it could be a way of life. Um, it could be all the things that, you know, were certain for us. I think a part of our identity, I think sometimes there's grieving around that, that we feel like we've changed or some part of who we thought we were is not true. Yeah, you know? for sure. For sure. And all of those, when I think about those emotions, anxiety, you know, vulnerability, fear and grief, those are all tough emotions. So I was seeing not only myself and leaders, really, none of us were really on our best behavior because it was, we were having a hard time articulating what we were feeling because none of us had done this before. So it's, mm. it's our first time and, you know, we're figuring it out on the fly. So um, now, you know, where we are with some of the states opening up, um, I'm still seeing a level of uncertainty and fear because, you know, folks aren't sure what to trust and what data to trust. And I think that's probably normal. But I think we can trust ourselves to do what's right for us, meaning if it's not right for us to go out in public, don't. You know, if, if we feel comfortable doing that, then how do we ensure that we're keeping other people safe in case we are, you know, someone that could be transmitting it? I think we have to consider both. Yeah. 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 Um, <clears throat> I want to go back a little bit. Um, I want to ask you about authentic leadership. Mm-hmm. what, how you would, I'm throwing this question at you, <laughs> how you would, um, define that maybe even a little loosely, you know, an, a, an idea of authentic leadership. And I wanted to see if you could share a little bit of your path to becoming, uh, someone who values authentic leadership, because I know that it wasn't always that way for you, that you've been through quite a, a journey and metamorphosis personally in, embracing those vulnerable motions for yourself, but also um, changing your leadership style. And I, I'm really interested, and I think people would be interested to hear kind of that path, what were some of the fears and the struggles, and then how did you, what, what kind of work did you have to do to come out on the other side as an authentic leader? Uh, I love you for this question um, because as I hear you asking it right now, I'm actually calling on my courage to be authentic and answer authentically. Um, so when I think about my leadership journey, you're right. It was not always, um, it wasn't always a clear path, but I wasn't what I considered to be a leader, maybe more of a manager. Mm. Um, I was a, I was called to leadership positions, but I was taught and, and definitely familiar with using shame to get results. So I, I often say that I was a shame-based leader. And that's how I was able to lead in traditionally male-dominated spaces. So when I think about the roles that I had in the industries that I was serving, they were tough. I mean, yes, there, there wasn't a lot of women everywhere. But at the same time, I, I learned how to navigate that and survive it. And not always in the most authentic ways, like in ways that weren't true to me. So when I think about authenticity, I think about being seen for who you are. And that also includes the things you don't do well, your setbacks, the things 
um, your flaws, your imperfections. And um, I spent a lot of time hiding those and running from those. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I know you're aware, but not not everyone is aware that um, I have a trauma background. So there was a lot of childhood trauma that I had to work through that came into my adult life and also my leadership life. And a lot of that I didn't heal when I started leading. So I was working out a lot of my crap on people that I was leading. Um, That's not authentic. And I don't consider that to be leadership. I consider that to be something else. So authenticity for me now is um, cultivating a sense of belonging Mm -hmm. to myself and not worrying about fitting in and seeking people's, you know, approval, just showing up for who I am and, including all the things that may be imperfect. Well, I, I know that it would be hard to, well, there's a n- number of things I'm thinking about, but in, in a setting, a corporate setting like that, to be vulnerable, to be authentic, first of all, it takes courage to even begin to the process of making it aware in yourself but then much less like the risks that you take in presenting it in one form or another to the others around you. Um, what, what was your experience when you did become more authentic? Did, did you, were there setbacks or did people generally embrace it and admire the courage that it took? I would say it was a little bit of both. Um, because I, I had to first be willing to disappoint some people um, and, and recognize that there, there may be some folks that I would lose along the way. And, and I did. And there were, there were some senior leaders in the industry that I served that were, were disappointed in my self-awareness and my discovery of authenticity. Mm. And, and that's okay. But there were also the, the people in the, in the trenches that I was leading, the frontline workers and, you know, skilled trades workers. Um, I think they really respected and appreciated that, that I was willing to stand out there kind of on an island there on my own, willing to disappoint some other leaders, but doing it in the best way that I could and doing it from a place of authenticity. So it's hard when, we know we're about to step out and disappoint people because we want people to like us and we want for our bosses to approve of us. But it was harder on me to show up being someone that I wasn't every day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, would you share what, what you feel like sharing about kind of that turning point for you? You know, was it an aha where you're like, I, this isn't working or I have to lead differently, or was it a process? Um, kind of, you know, unpack that a little bit, just kind of that process for yourself. Yeah. I would want to know, like, if you, were you burning out? Did you, had you been uh, confronted with a failure or? Uh, yes. And yes. Um, <laughs> I you know nothing that's, about that's that. That's often right? what it takes, I guess. <laughs> um, so you know, setbacks and failures, I'm, I'm very familiar with them. I think that's one of my strengths um, as, as I've spent about the past 10, I've spent the past 10 years, not only really digging into self-awareness and boy, I, I feel like that is such a critical skill and a tough skill to hone. I, it's a commitment forever. Mm-hmm. 
but, um, you know, engaging in, in therapy and working with coaches and really just um, working through it. But what got me to that point was I, I tell this story um, in a way that I think we can all see ourselves in this. I was, I was at the pinnacle of my career, but in the toilet with my personal life. And I couldn't quite understand why there was such a huge gap between my professional life and my personal life, like what was happening. There were a lot of things happening in my personal life that were complicated, including a parent that was, excuse me, navigating chemotherapy and breast cancer and a single parent, of course. So I felt a commitment to do the best I could to be there for her and her surgeries. This was my mom. And at the same time, be working in a facility that was about to file bankruptcy and close the plant. So I was working 12 to 16 hours a day as a, uh, a manager, kind of an engineering improvement manager, and then trying to help her as well. And but neither one I was doing well. <laughs> I thought I was, but, you know, both of them, my professional and, and personal life I wasn't managing my time well. Sure, I had a title. Sure, I had lots of money and prestige accompanied with that. But I could tell something wasn't quite right. Yeah, and it was like, yeah, it was a conversation that I had with a, a friend of mine who was um, a licensed therapist who had said, you know, I'm not sure what's going on with you, but you know, I feel like something you, you need to communicate something that's in the way for you. That's what started my journey and. Once I entered into uh, therapy, actually entered into some trauma therapy, it helped me uncover all the things that I was bringing into not only my personal life, but my professional life. So yeah, I was burnt out, overwhelmed, and having a difficult time showing up for both places authentically. I just love the way you talk about this, Sabrina, and how it, I I feel like you're your, the way that you share your story and the insights and, um, yes, even theory and data that you have, it normalizes it for people. It makes it feel like it's not something so out there that, uh, and a lot of people I work with, especially in an organizational or corporate setting, it's like, oh, we don't want to do therapy. This feels like therapy. And it's like, no, this is making, this is <laughs> leadership development. This is, <laughs> like learning who you are so that you can be the best human and best leader that you can be. And so I think that your, your style and the way you talk about it really lends itself to that kind of accessibility for people where it takes it out of a, like a consultation room and takes it into everyday lived out relationships and and work. And so uh, I think it's a real gift to people the way, the way you do it. Well, I appreciate that. And I also, you know, appreciate your style too, because you are, you were out there in the trenches as well, helping people. And, um, you know, just because we have the title of leader doesn't mean that we don't need help um, Mm -hmm. because we do. And that's okay. That's right. Totally. I guess the ground has to be fertile, like for people to real to start looking in. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how we can, what, what would be something we would tell people to encourage them to shift their mindset other than them having to fail or be mm-hmm. burning out? Is, is there a way to, to encourage people to start doing that just in maybe 
a, a, a medium sized struggle or like a preventative. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, as a recovering, recovering knower, meaning I'm, I'm also a recovering perfectionist and people pleaser, but, um, you know, my tendency was to always respond with a, I know the exact answer for how to do this. And I don't, fully know. I just know for me, I had this moment where I said to myself, what is happening? Cause I kept blaming everyone else around me. And I had this moment of, oh my gosh, I'm the common denominator. And once I was able to say I'm the common denominator here, I leaned on a value, which I didn't realize was one of my values at the time, but I leaned on curiosity and had to embrace the suck of uncertainty and step into that space of if I'm the common denominator, what do I have to look at? Like what's laying in front of me that I'm not picking up and investigating. And looking Ooh, at that is, change it. that is hard to do that. <laughs> so th- yeah. And that's the thing. Like I do, I think it, it, there is something in the DNA of people that are willing to step into that. I don't know if it's um, I don't, a mindset or if it's the psychological mindedness or the desire to grow, but but I feel like life comes at all of us, and we all have opportunities to to reset or shift or grow or find a new way. But so many of us are like, nope, foreclose that. I'm going to shut that door down. Well, if I and if I can briefly add to it as well, the reason I even ask the question is because, like you know, having recently gone uh, gone through a little bit of some transformation uh, and some identity stuff uh, again in my own way, you know, I'm like, oh man, I love this obstacle is the way. I'm an enthusiast. I'm an evangelist about it right now. But then I find myself when I see someone struggling, and I, I want to say, dude, the obstacle is the way, man. Like here. <laughs> check this out. All, I mean, it's the, it's the way. And I find, I'm like, when I return the tables and I think about it, I'm like, that is not working. You can't just tell someone that the obstacle is the way they have to, I, I feel like there, there has to be some kind of turning of the field, you know, to like kind of upset something for them to really be in a place to start learning. I think that's so good, Chad, because I, I do think, again, this isn't clinical or research-based, but I do think this may be gender-specific because when I, when I look at how, how men get curious about where to improve or how to increase their self-awareness, and then when I look at women and how they do it, it seems to be different. Um, I I often see men get really curious about fixing things and general problem solving. Um, I lean that way too. I have a little bit of masculine energy when it comes to my leadership style that I'm aware of. So I'm intrigued with problem solving. Um, I definitely wasn't intrigued with it may, it may be me that's wrong because um, shame was a really tricky emotion for me to navigate and it kept me silent. I don't know how, how that shows up for men. So while I love the obstacles, the way I'm not really sure how to encourage people in general to get more curious about that. Yeah. I think, you know, I, um, father Richard Rohr, 
has his Falling Upward book, which I quote a lot, but (laughs) he talks about that, you know, the first half of life is all about ego, uh, ego management, ego is kind of driving the car. And then we have to inevitably, all of us, if you are a human, you will eventually fall or fail your way to the second half of your, of your life, which is the ego begins to get dismantled. It can no longer do what you once needed it to do. It's not sufficient anymore. And so I think that that, um, yeah, I think that I agree with you, Sabrina. I think that that kind of, um, uh, dis, dis, detangling maybe is the word that we do with the ego looks differently for men and women. Um, yeah, which would be an interesting research to look at. Um, I wanted to shift for a minute if we could and talk about your work in shame resilience. Um, I know that you are deeply embedded, not only in this kind of this work, uh, all the time, but especially right now, uh, with, you know, the, um, kind of the climate that COVID-19 has created. So I wanted you to share a little bit about um, kind of what you're thinking about right now with shame resilience. Um, And then I had some like some real specific challenging questions that I'm wrestling with that I was hoping you and I could kind of kind of talk through a little bit. Oh, let's do it because we have trust and um, let's do it. We definitely need those questions out there. So, so shame resilience, um, I feel like that's such a loaded, a loaded combination of words there. So when we think about shame, I'm going to break them down in in two different buckets. When we think about shame, um, the work that I'm doing is all, is primarily centered around Brene Brown's research and everything that, you know, she spent time understanding the past 20 years primarily about human connection and and what gets in the way of that, which is shame. Um, And then when we tie that into me and my work, um, recall I had mentioned that, you know, I was a a shame-based leader. So I'm very familiar with shame and I'm, I'm very familiar and aware that it was almost like a frequent, like an undercurrent to how I showed up in my personal and professional life. So I had to get really comfortable, even though it's difficult, I had to get really comfortable with understanding shame, how it shows up for me, understanding what it isn't, knowing when I'm in shame and how to, how to recover. So when I, when I reference shame, shame is simply the easiest definition is the fear of disconnection. And as a social species, as long as we're wired for connection, which, is, which we are, the fear of disconnection invites us to feel like we're not good enough, which is that, that, that feeling of inadequacy that, that rushes over us when we're about to do something brave or, or vulnerable. So shame is one of the self-conscious affects that we experience when we're you know, feeling self-conscious. And it's quite different from the other three, which is guilt, embarrassment, and humiliation. So understanding shame was critical. When I think about resilience, for me, resilience is the ability to uh, reset, recover, rebound, because I can't prevent shame. I can't resist shame. I can't stop it. It's going to happen because I'm open for connection. So I had to just get curious 
about my shame triggers and how I could recover from that. So shame resilience is something I've really gotten invested in the past few years and started really speaking about. And it's hard, but it's, it's so powerful. It's changed my life and people's lives that I've served. In in a sense, like shame, you know, we I think it has you know powerful negative connotations by all means, but um, you know, I think some people are almost like turning it on its head a little bit and saying, well, some like politicians and leaders should be shamed, uh, or maybe we're just not using the right word. Like it's kind of like a holding them accountable, and so I think Shelley, you've also run into the concept of like, well, how do we name perhaps and not shame or hold people accountable? What, but again, without like necessarily shaming. Mm-hmm. It's a great question because um, right now our political climate, it's tricky and it's somewhat divisive and polarizing. And um, I can see there's plenty of opportunities for, for me to be critical, but then there's also plenty of opportunities for me to sit back and say, if I were in this position, what would I do? Um, because there's there's lots of opinions and lots of criticisms out there, so we don't always have to agree. Um, but these are these are still people, and it is really important that we try to pick language that can encourage people to move into positive change versus shaming language. And again, that's a skill, and I'm still learning it. So I think there's ways to have those conversations without using shame for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, so our son has viral induced asthma. So he's 14. He's had it since he was a baby, came out with it. I think he had, he's always had kind of asthmatic issues when he gets a cold or a virus. And so we have been on this just high alert with COVID-19. And so I find myself getting easily, I mean, sometimes it's just disappointment. It's mild disappointment. Sometimes it's kind of offended or um, frustrated all the way to more outrage when I see people that are not uh, following the same rule book <laughs> as I am. And it feels so personal. It, it really taps into that fear as a mother. And so I, I do find myself kind of defaulting. I don't know if it's shaming um, because I don't call somebody out on it, but I really do, uh, I have to do the work around the shame piece of this, that I, there's a part of me that really wants to. There's a part of me that's just outraged and wants to kind of lash out and blame and, you know, what are you doing? And and so I'm, oh, I'm going to start crying. That's okay. <laughs> um, well, I think we are. Um, there is a lot of outrage and maybe to take this back to the beginning thinking of, uh, of the idea of embracing the suck and, and also how that connects to calm and, um, you know, maybe even managing our expectations, maybe, um, but how do you embrace the suck (laughs) as a community when our actions really impact one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. You want to try to take that on Sabrina? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. As, as I'm thinking about you, Shelly, and knowing you and, and how much I admire your heart and how 
it's brave for you to say this out loud. Um, so I'm thinking about what you're up against. And right now I am, I believe you, like I don't have kids, so I don't know the exact experience, but I don't need to. I know, I know fear. I know anger. I know outrage. I know resentment. I know those emotions. So I feel like I'm picking up some of those emotions and as I listen to you share this. And when I think about embracing the suck and what's happening and being afraid for your kiddo, you absolutely have every right to feel that way. And you absolutely have every right to be pissed off and frustrated and, and really um, get that out. Like, I think it's really healthy for us to vent to each other and process what we're experiencing in the world because this is, this is what it's about. I think we can still hold each other accountable without using shame. And I haven't known you to do that. Um, but I've, I've at least not witnessed that. So when I think about the how to, I almost feel like you already are like, at least from what I've seen through online platforms and social media platforms, I've seen you hold people accountable in a way that's kind. I've seen you quote unquote rumble and have hard conversations with people and trying to get curious about, you know, the impact of their behavior on your family and vice versa. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that loaded question we talked about? Maybe you weren't there. We, we the loaded question was, "Do you believe people are doing the best that they can?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Like <laughs> even the ones that are not acting right, yeah. <laughs> according to like you know each one of our standards, because we all have expectations and standards on what we think is okay. Yeah. Um. So even when I see people that aren't following the rules, it is really frustrating for me too. But I have to lean on those skills and some skills you've taught me tied to calm and breathing and empathy. Because I'm looking, I'm looking for, I'm looking for compassion in me. I'm looking for compassion in other people. I'm also afraid too. I'm also frustrated too. But I know deep down, I can't change anyone else. I can influence behavior. But if there's something that's happening then I have an obligation to take care of myself and do what I think is okay for me. Um, and if I had kiddos too, I would be probably in hyper-protective mode, just like you are. And I think all of that's normal. Yeah. And I think my emotion, I mean, it obviously is for our son and just the fear around that. But let's be honest, he's probably fine. We're fine. Like, it's okay. He will be fine. I think my emotion is also... You know, the picking up on what's happening in our our society right now, you know, that there's this kind of, we are all, there's the skin of, of, we all have to work together. We're all connected. We all mm-hmm. have to collectively kind of get through this. Yet there is such a breakdown of trust among our, in, in our institutions and in our leadership in each other. And so I'm trying to figure out like, how do we do this? you know, move through this when we're not all on the same page and, and that's okay. And we don't always trust each other. How do we move through this without resorting to shame 
and to disconnect and to um, the vitriol, you know, and I, and I think that's just a really tr- sad place that we are as a country right now. I think that's as much my emotion as well. Let's as let, Lucas. Let's try to turn it into maybe a, a possible question she could try to frame an answer to a little bit. Which is, I know it's a broad one. It's just your personal take, Sabrina. Like, what do you think? And it may dovetail with what you've already said. But what what do you think as a society that we could be learning um, through this great pause? Yeah, I think empathy for sure. Um, hmm. The fact that you know, we're feeling vulnerability on steroids. Um, I also feel like empathy on steroids is needed. Um, and, and if we can do self empathy, um, I know I teach a little bit, some of Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion, you know, so we can do compassion for self. Um, I also think we can do empathy for self in some way if we need to, but empathy is ideal between, between each other. So when I think about a, a, a societal answer in what I think is going to help us move forward in the midst of so much crisis um, and some divisiveness is, is empathy. And even for people that we disagree with, because how, how else are we going to come together if, yeah. if we put each other into into buckets or containers and draw this really hard line where that person is bad and I'm good. Mm-hmm. There's shame. Well, I love that. Um, do, you, yeah. do you have like, I know that like as, um, as a cre- in my creative writing d- degree, they would always say, well, the reason we read great fiction is ultimately in this very high, you know, um, evolution of like why we read fiction, it's to empathize with other humans. But, um, are there, how do, would you recommend or what, what, practical tools do you suggest to people to develop the skill of empathy? I think some people are so far from being able to really do that. Yeah. So um, empathy is a skill, thank God. Um, one that I have to learn too. <laughs> one that so, you taught and learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I thought I thought empathy was an emotion. And the reason I thought it was, was because it sounded like sympathy. I thought it came, it was the same family. And uh, the truth is empathy and sympathy are quite different. Um, sympathy has a tendency to drive disconnection and fuel shame. Empathy actually reinforces connection and is the antidote to shame. So huge differences between the two. Yeah. And empathy is a teachable skill set. So um, we can teach it. We can role play it. Um, we can see it happen in real time. Um, we can see it on social media. We can practice it on social media. So in a, a really amazing example of empathy, the simplest form of empathy actually is, uh, and I'll use Shelley's example, when I hear you talk about your son and I hear you say, you know, I feel outraged about what's happening because um, he has asthma and I'm worried, I'm concerned. The best response I can give you at that time when I'm hearing outrage or fear is you're not alone. Me too. So to say something like I get it, I'm with you. 
actually reinforces connection versus making you, Shelly, feel like there's something wrong with you for feeling outraged or fearful about your son's Mm -hmm. health. So when I think about that skill, um, there are five steps to it. Um, Shelly, I think, you know, as us working together, maybe, maybe we just share it on, um, like your, your website for people to download if that's helpful. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and maybe we, we try and show people in real time, the examples of it. We, I can go through, um, would you like to hear an empathic miss? Would that be helpful, Chad? Yeah, sure. Okay. I can give you an example of what empathy isn't. Okay. So, (laughs) so, um, so this is a classic one from, from being in the South. So we'll, we'll lean on Shelly's example again. So let's say she just shared with me, you know, about the fear and outrage for her son. And if my response to Shelly was, Oh, bless your heart. You poor thing. (laughs) (laughs) That's a familiar Southern expression for sure. It is. It is. And I laugh because I know everyone is doing the best they can. And if you don't have knowledge about, empathic misses, then, you know, you just, you just don't, but that feeling of you poor thing, that's a a sympathy response and the chances of that making anyone feel connected or validated are pretty small. In fact, it has a tendency to make people feel like, Oh geez, Mm -hmm. I'm a poor thing, you know? So that's one example of what empathy isn't. And there's several more, there's like 10 different empathic misses that we all engage in. Do you have that on your website, Sabrina? It's not on my website. I think okay. um, we'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, it's a it's a. I have a handout that I can just um, send send you if that's yeah. helpful. Yeah, that that's would okay. be helpful, and then and we can um, if you're open to putting them on the show notes, that people could take a, a look at them. I think that'd Absolutely. be super helpful. Sure. Sure. Um. All right. This is good. Yeah, this has been a great, <laughs> authentic, vulnerable conversation. I am. Um, I'm curious, Sabrina, as you think about where, you know, going back to normal, whatever that means, what are some ways that you are looking forward to going back to, quote, normal? And what are some things that you're hoping um, you can retain about this great pause of COVID-19? So normal. It's such a it's such a relative term, and I and I get it. Like I keep saying it. Like I'm so ready to go back to normal. Mm-hmm. Um, what I miss is my ability to go where I want, um, meaning just to hop in the car and go see someone if I want to go see them, and go to my local Starbucks and have coffee with amazing people there, or. Um, you know, drive to Tennessee because I want to spend the week with some friends or drive here because I want to do that. So I miss that connection. Mm -hmm. So when that comes back around, um, I have committed to never taking that for granted again. Mm. Yeah. I used to brag about being an introvert. I'm going to check that because I think that was inviting people to feel like I didn't care about their connection. And that's so not true. Mm. Um, I'll be... I'll be missing. I mean, I can't wait to kind of just get back out there and do some like paddle boarding um, or some group camping. I'm really missing that. Yeah, that sounds great, actually. Um, What do you want to hold on to? 
oh, well, you know, I'm going to use you as an example. That's the first thing that came to mind. Um, doing our weekly inner circle session, like mm-hmm. so, you have done an amazing job at creating a safe container virtually. Um, so meeting with people in that way and building connection in that way has been really important. Mm-hmm. And then I've been doing a lot of walking, like more than what I would normally do to help with stress. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yep. So that's going to continue. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So we um, we end our podcast with the same three questions. And so okay. we will ask those now. The first question is, what is a, a book you're reading, a podcast you're listening to, something that is leaving an impression on you right now? Right now, the book that I'm digging into is Insight by Tasha Urich. And... I love, absolutely love how she has the book structured at the end of each chapter are really the, the bullet notes of what she covered in that chapter. And it's super helpful. She's got some really powerful ideas in there. And at the back of, a, of her book, she's got some really opportunities for you to work on some uh, kind of homework assignments yeah, to get and- curious values and it's about yeah. building self-awareness right am I right about that yep okay. yep that's what I such think. a good book okay um, as far as podcasts I I'm kind of all over the place it depends upon if I want something funny or inspirational or tactical um I'm all over the place mm-hmm. yeah that's yeah, fair. Me too. Me too. We've got piles of books <laughs> that we look at and read a little bit of. Um, what's your morning routine look like, Sabrina? My morning routine consists of meditation and journaling. I have been doing something, this sounds strange, but um, calling on my courage to share something strange. Cursive handwriting. <laughs> I know they don't do that at school anymore. At least I heard they don't. Only I Montessori. Been, yeah, our, our our daughter who went to Montessori all the way through Montessori. She's the only one that knows how to do cursive handwriting. I remember how challenging that was growing up. Um, now, when I do my journaling, I'm writing everything in cursive, and I'm trying to write it really slow so that I can read it because my handwriting is I terrible. Love that. <laughs> So meditation and journaling, and then um, I spend a little bit of time reading, usually in the morning, and then I get into my day. So I don't, um, I don't force myself to rush through that process. That's really great. cool. You know, I think there might be some brain research on. I know there's certainly brain research on the differences of what your brain is doing, handwriting as opposed to typing. I think script and and connecting the letters is, or like this the cursive is different than just printing. Or I, I, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Last question: What does okay. big self mean to you? Hmm. I've, I've been thinking about this. So I'm going to use your words, Shelly, and I know you'll forgive me. Um, I'm going to borrow, I should say. You had, you had mentioned one time that we can't lead people where we haven't gone. So when I think about big self and when I think about big self and leaders, we can't lead people where we haven't been ourselves, but then 
we also can't lead people into territory that's unknown and uncertain too. So in order to do that, it requires self-awareness, actually big self-awareness. So for me, big self is all about digging into self-awareness and getting curious about how you show up and what you invite people to feel that you're leading. And that's hard, hard work, but super necessary and wholehearted work. I appreciate everything that you do and everything that you've taught me and especially the support that you've given me the past year. Mm-hmm. So big self is also a representation of you. I thank you for saying that, what you just said. Um, you're, you're a gift. You're a gift to me. You're a gift to so many people. Um, all over this country who who get to work with you, who get a chance to go through life with you. And um, yeah, you're a teacher at heart. I think the way you teach and what you teach is exactly what we need right now. Yeah. Thank you both for your time and inviting me to be here with you. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Self Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, join the community on Facebook at the Big Self Society. You can find us at big underscore self on Twitter. And we are also at the Big Self Society on Medium, where we feature and curate content on topics ranging from psychology to creativity and productivity. We'd love to hear from you. What show made an impact on your thinking, your habits, your decision-making, or anything else? And anyone you'd like us to reach out to and have on the show, let us know.